welcome. My name is Kara. I'm one of the pastors on the team here, and we are so excited to be starting our time with you with worship. We believe that no matter where you're watching from, whether you're in this building or not, that worship is the thing that unites us, that unites the body of Christ. And so I just want to start our time today by praying, by refocusing on Jesus. And so, Jesus, we believe that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And so today we fix our eyes on you. Today we turn our eyes to you and we choose to worship you. Amen. Amen. There were walls between us. By the cross you came and broke them down. You broke them down. There were chains around us. By your grace we are no longer bound. No longer bound.
response. Sing this together. We sing a little louder. Sing a little louder. Oh, we sing a little louder. Sing a little louder. We sing a little louder. Sing a little louder. We sing a little louder. Sing a little louder. Oh, we sing a little louder. In the presence of my enemy. Oh, we sing a little louder. Sing louder than the unbelief. We sing a little louder. Weapon is a melody. We sing a little louder. Oh, heaven come the to fight for me. We sing a little louder. In the presence of my enemies. We sing a little louder. Louder than the unbelief. We sing a little louder. My weapon is a melody. We sing a little louder. Heaven comes to fight for me. We sing a little louder. I'm gonna sing in the middle of the storm. Louder and louder. You're gonna hear my needed to be reminded in that moment of who God is and what what he says about us and what he says about the church and it was a good reminder we belong to each other we belong to him and and that's how we can sing hallelujah that's how we can sing in the middle of the storm is because those truths remain true even in it even in the middle of it. And so that's why I'm excited this morning that we're continuing our We Belong series with Pastor Pat. We've been talking about what it means to belong to Jesus, to one another, and today we get to talk about belonging to our place. I'm so excited for that. Well, my name is Neely, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I have been trying to think, how many weeks have we been doing service like this? I don't know, it's like seven, nine, Phil, how many weeks? Feels like I think we decided it's 62 weeks we've been online like this. It's been a long, long time, and we're missing being together. But this will never feel normal. This is not the normal thing. We're going to be together someday soon. I believe that. But since this is what we're doing for now, I want to remind you again about the buttons below. Um, these are the ways we stay connected during this season. These are the ways we stay close and belong to one another. And so that connection card, go ahead and take a moment and fill that out. I know it's different doing that online. It's so different than filling it out in person. But if you could just do that and take a few moments to fill it out, we want to pray for you. I know that I've been looking through those prayer requests and been praying for people every week. I know our staff and our elders are doing that. So please take a moment to fill that out. And then giving, again, this is a time when giving is essential because of what it means to be the church in our community and belong to one another another. And so I encourage you to click that button and it will take you to online giving. And then finally, the at-home resources. There's some great things happening. We're doing a lot of fun things right now. And Pastor Pat's going to talk about something there. And so you're going to want to make sure you click that to find out what's happening this week. 
All right, every week we've been hearing from some of our mission partners around the world, and I'm super excited for this morning for you to hear from the Rainies who are in Indonesia. Check it out. Hello, Overlake. Greetings from Jonathan and Cindy Rainey, serving with Mission Innovation Fellowship in Indonesia. We have been missionaries of Overlake for 30 years. I was part of Overlake when I was in high school and then as a married couple before we went to Indonesia. MAF continues to share the love of Jesus Christ using aviation and technology here in Indonesia so that isolated people may be physically and spiritually transformed. These are crazy times we live in, but no way does this catch God by surprise. He's at work changing people. Right now, as travel is limited throughout Indonesia to stop the spread of the virus, MAF plays a crucial link and lifeline and a faithful presence as we continue to supply and support the National Church, ongoing Christian education and health ministries and missionaries that are all isolated and cut off as lockdown prevents any passenger travel. The church stands as a beacon of hope and light in a world shattered by fear and worry. Hope is shining. His name is being proclaimed. Children are learning to read and now reading the Bible to their parents and grandparents. Villages are being reached and transformed. Please pray that we will continue to be able to have favor and permissions to do our daily service and ministry there in Indonesia. We belong to impact our communities right where God has set us. Well, Overlake, I think one of my favorite things about our DNA as a church family is the fact that we go far beyond just a local reach here on the east side of the Seattle area, but we have partners around the world. You just heard of some uh, there in Indonesia, but so neat to be part of something that's so big and having such a great impact uh, in so many ways. Well, I am Pat. I'm one of the pastors on the team here, and I'm excited to jump into week three now of this four-week series called We Belong. And, and I have to give a plug. If you have missed weeks one or two, you're going to want to go online and check up uh, uh, those out because uh, Pastor Neely on week one talked about what it means, uh, the fact that we belong to Jesus. And then last week, one of our elders, James, uh, kind of showed us what it looks like and what it means, uh, the fact that we belong to one another. And this week, we get to discover what it means that we belong to our places, our parishes, our neighborhoods. Well, I want you to take a moment and just think through what the word belong means to you. Wherever you are, uh, whoever you're with, maybe even take a moment and just kind of chime in. Maybe you mention a word that comes to mind or there's a picture uh, that kind of is in your head. But what does that word of what it means to belong, what, what, what kind of comes to mind for you? Well, over the past couple of weeks, we've been asking exactly that question, and on Facebook and Instagram, you've been weighing in, and we have ended up with this word cloud, if you will, of these are the different words that have come up. And the bigger the word, the more often it was used. And so you'll see words like loved, seen, heard, safe, supported, community, and trust. But these are all expressions of what it looks like, what it feels like, what, what it means to experience belonging. And, and I love that it's in the shape of a heart. How sweet. Well, belonging goes beyond just feelings. It goes beyond just experiences. It goes beyond just kind of uh, the things that we feel as, as we are in these communities of belonging. Uh, because really, it has an impact of shaping us. What we belong to, who we belong to, even where we belong to has a way of forming our identity and, and kind of creating a construct of what we think the meaning of life is, what our, what our visions are, what our values are for, for life. And to give maybe just a little, just a humble example, I brought with me an, an old gem uh, out, of, out of my closet here, my old Letterman jacket from high school. This is, this is uh, 15, 16 years ago now, I guess I graduated from Central Valley in Spokane, home of the Bears. But when I was in high school, I did a couple sports. I did cross country and track. And in these places, in these settings, it's where I felt I experienced belonging. And, and even as you would wear these jackets around kind of high school, you kind of knew, you could kind of sense just by looking at the sports teams or band or other things, who belonged to who. And, and it was in these experiences of being on teams that, that I realized this dynamic of when collectively, when individuals, when different athletes, 
athletes or runners, when different members slowly and continually begin to build in, begin to buy in, begin to invest and commit to the same vision, the same values, the same mission, there's this huge kind of kind of movement that begins to occur. There's, there's incredible progress that is, is, is kind of actualized and realized. And, and for example, um, kind of sticking with the high school thing here for a moment, when I was a freshman, we were the worst team in Spokane, worst team in the district, dead last. And four years later, by the time I was a senior, it wasn't no uh, kind of Disney story. We didn't go worst to first. We went from dead last to dead middle, like 500. Uh, and, and yet, there were grades well after me that continued to buy in, continued to invest, continued to commit to summers of training, off-season training, early morning kind of junk miles, we would call them. And, and they were so committed that over the past few years, CV, the, the, the Bears have been competing for not just district titles, but state titles, and even one state just a couple of years ago. And so it shows a little bit of this dynamic, the power of belonging. And I want to pivot now from just kind of a, a high school example to a church example. I want to look at the church in Rome for just a moment because in just a second here, we're going to actually hear some, 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 a little passage from a letter that was written to them about 2,000 years ago. And it's, it's incredible to kind of investigate this, this Christian community in Rome because 2,000 years ago, it was persecuted. It was at the margins. It, it was so few people uh, in the population were in fact Christians at the time. And, 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 and the culture, the Roman Empire, loved to persecute them, kill them for entertainment. There's stories of them even being Christians being used as, as fuel for torches at garden parties. Like just sick, sick things. And yet this humble community of people, they actually lived out what we heard in week one. They believed that they belonged to Jesus, that their primary identity was in Christ, was in Jesus, was in the living God. Not in Caesar, not in a nation, not in, in any power of this world, but in Christ and Christ alone. And, and then woven together with that, they believed they belonged to one another. That just as we learned last week from Pastor James, that it was a, it was a dynamic community, like a body. It was, they were interdependent, not just independent, not just individuals, but they cared for one another. They loved one another wholeheartedly, again, as we just heard last week. But there was a, a, another dynamic. They were established. They were rooted in their place, in their parishes, in their neighborhoods, and it maybe seemed like very small, mundane, simple things that they were up to of just eating together, or caring for one another's needs, praying together, caring for even their neighbors. But over time, those things, those decisions, those actions compounded in a way where 10 graduating classes later, if you want to say, but 10 generations later, about 300 years after this letter, after this time of persecution, the church became central to this culture to this place. It's still even now regarded as kind of the, the center of the Christian faith. It's amazing to think about just the massive, the global, the timeless impact that these early followers of Jesus have had. We're talking of them even today. So what I want to do is I want to go ahead and look at just four verses. It's in Romans chapter 12. You can follow along in a Bible or, or even pull it up on your phone if you'd like. But, but we're going to be in Romans chapter 12 as we're just continually walking through this passage, this whole chapter together. And we're going to look at verses 9 through 13. And, and we're going to discover what it was about these early Christians, these early followers of Jesus in Rome that helped them have such an incredible impact. Because I think it's things that we can apply. And so instead of me reading it to you, I asked a few friends, a few neighbors, uh, who live in the neighborhood in Juanita, in my little Rome, if you will. But, but, but Sydney and Spencer, who are also two students in our ministry, to read these verses for us. So listen to them now. Don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly what is good, love each other with genuine affection, and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in a confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Romans 12, 9 through 13. 
Thank you, Spencer. Thank you, Sydney, for that. Uh, I have to admit, our, our, uh, that was our second take. Our first take, there was a duck going crazy in the water there nearby that totally like, just dominated all the audio. Uh, but those are the words of Scripture we're looking at together this morning. And it's important. What I want to point out is the fact that this is a letter written from Paul, written from a follower, a passionate follower of Jesus who loved to start communities of faith all over the, the, the region of the time. And, and he writes this letter to this church. And it's important to recognize this church is multicultural. It's multi-ethnic. You have Jewish followers of Jesus who have their own customs and traditions and perspectives on a variety of things. And then you have non-Jews. You have Gentiles. You have those that are quite different in their customs and traditions and views and perspectives on things. And, and what Paul is addressing, especially in these first kind of 11, first three quarters of the, ch of the book or letter or so, is, is the fact that there is not two churches the church is not meant to be divided amongst different cultures and, and ethnicities and, and races and, 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 and people of different maybe social uh, standing or status. But the church is one, is united. Not uniform, but united. It's like a body as we were learning last week. And so Paul's addressing the fact that, that it's in fact beautiful when the church is multicultural, multi-ethnic and belongs to one another. And, and, and this is important because he really has a few different strategies for writing this letter. The, the first is kind of a missional strategy, you could call it. It's a strategy of Paul recognizing if he, if the church can go ahead and reach Rome, can have a, 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 an impact, an influence in Rome, then it will have an impact. It will have an influence across the world. People were moving into Rome from all over the Roman Empire of the time of the day. And, and, and just by the hundreds, by the thousands, it was the largest city. It was filled with power, with influence, with prestige. And, and, and again, because it was multicultural, multi-ethnic, Paul recognized the huge potential that city held for the gospel to be spread. Secondly, there was a practical part of this letter. Rome needed Jesus. Rome needed love. Rome needed hope. And Paul knew by addressing the church, by encouraging the church in Rome to be about the very work of Jesus, that Rome could go ahead and have that hope, have that love. From the outside, it would have looked like Rome was well off, doing great. Huge buildings, all kinds of building campaigns, some people with really nice clothes, all kinds of money. Wealth was flaunted. But Rome had an underbelly. There, there, there was a practice even like infanticide where, where almost like abortion of the time where newborns would be left out in trash heaps that were unwanted. And it was just a normal practice that they would just die to exposure is really what would happen there. You could look at Rome and its dealings with its just insatiable desire for violence and war. You could look at the practice of adolescent sex slaves that were used just rampantly. Or just the, the crazy addictions of, of just things like illicit drug use and, and sex. But Rome had some issues, had some problems and needed, practically needed some hope, some healing, some restoration. And then there's really kind of a third part of Paul's letter. And, and I don't know if this is the best term to use, but go with me here. Is it was a bit of a marketing strategy too. Paul knew that if the church in Rome, multi-ethnic, multicultural, could live this reality out of being uh, together, being one, belonging to Jesus, belonging to one another, and belonging to their place, that the kingdom of heaven could be displayed. Almost like a prototype or a sample plot or a proof of concept, if you will, of what heaven will look like. And so Paul writes with that fervor. He writes with that desire. He writes with that passion to see the church live that out. And so when you think about it, and overlay, get this, right here, check this out. When you think about it, we live in a modern day Rome. Think of just everything I talked about. Think of the city of Seattle. Multicultural, multi-ethnic. We're, we're the fastest growing city in the United States. We've been one of the fastest growing uh, for a while now. Over the last 10 years, over the last 10 years, every week there's been about seven, a net of 700 people moving into the Seattle area week in, week out, into our neighborhoods, into our places, into our parishes. People from all over, not just the nation, not just United States, all over the world. 
It, it, you think of, of all the cultures represented, all the languages represented. There is the globe right here in our neighborhoods. And then you think of Seattle's influence. What happens in Seattle has gone global many, many times. I think of Boeing and its influence. I think of Microsoft, Starbucks, Amazon. I think of grunge music. Okay, maybe grunge did not go global. But this reality that there is an expression that what happens here gets exported all around the world. So there's a huge missional opportunity here. Then there's this practical opportunity, much like Rome. From the outside, it may look like Seattle's doing great. I, I read, the most recent article I read on the number of cranes in Seattle said there was 59 cranes, the most in any U.S. city, building, a huge building boom. And so it'd be easy to drive down the road and think, oh, Seattle's just doing great. From the outside looking in, it, it looks like it's full of just kind of all this advancement and everyone must be doing well. And yet we have an underbelly too. You look at the rates of divorce, you look at the rates of domestic violence, you, you look at the rates of abortion or the broken foster care system. You think of the port of Seattle and, and how it's one of the biggest ports for human trafficking in the West Coast, in the whole nation. You think through just the problems we have. I mean, that's great, we have 59 cranes, but why can't we keep people from in and up on the streets or sleeping in their cars? Seattle and our communities need hope, need Jesus need love, need the church. And then there's a bit of a marketing strategy too. If we figure this out over Lake, a church that is already multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi-generational, if we live this out, this belonging to Jesus, to one another and to our places, then as we will learn next week, it begins to put on display heaven here on earth. And people, they, they may see it and they may like what they see. They may catch a taste of it and just know like they have a longing deep down inside of them that that, that just feels right, that just looks right, that they want in. And we will welcome. People can belong well before they believe. And so how do we do this? How do we live this out? Well, I think the four verses that Sydney and Spencer read for us really are kind of our marching orders. So let's look at those. Let's start in Romans 12 verse 9. It says this. It says, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. I love this opening phrase of just don't pretend. Just don't do it. Don't just pretend. Especially when you kind of connect this with what uh, Elder James was talking about last week. All this stuff of loving realistically, loving interdependently, loving wholeheartedly. That can't just be a show. It can't just be a talk. We don't get to pretend it. We have to live it. We have to live this out. Uh, if, if you're a parent, for the parents listening, you know that this is hard work to not just pretend. That love is a sacrifice. It is a cost. As you've raised kids, you know Love is hard. You know that it's expensive. You know that it can be smelly and messy. That it's day in and day out. Day after day after day. And if you're a kid who has a parent at home, you know how hard it is to love your parents. You got to listen to them. You got to talk to them. You got to spend time with them. You can't just pretend to love others. You have to really do it. You have to really love them. The next verse says this in verse 10, and it goes on to say, love each other with genuine affection. Again, it's not fake. It's genuine. It's real. It's authentic. And take delight in honoring each other. I love this idea of taking delight in honoring each other. There, there's a great example from a few weeks ago. We've shared it online. I want to make sure everyone gets to hear it. And it's this student here, Malaya went out this few weeks ago, made all these awesome signs, kind of of encouragement, uh, kind of, again, taking delight. Look at that smile of, of honoring others, lifting others up, encouraging others. And she put these signs outside of where all the nurses and doctors and hospital staff would drive into work at Evergreen Hospital in her parish over here in Totem Lake. And so this is what this begins to look like. Next verse now, in, in verse 11, it, it goes on, Paul goes on to encourage him, uh, the church in Rome and, and us as well, to never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. I love this idea of just working hard, of bringing our best work and bringing our best attitude. That's, it's, it's filled with enthusiasm, with joy. 
and we continue to press through even trouble, even through the hard times, even through pandemics. And I love examples, again, that have been cropping up through the Overlake family. And here's a few here that have been making masks like crazy to, to, to gift neighbors, to gift essential workers, to gift those that need them. And, and we hooked up so many people here at Overlake who've been coming in for showers throughout the week too. And, and so this is what this looks like. It's hard work, but there's, there's like joy in it. It's like fun. It's fun to lean into that hard work and, and press through. And now this last verse, and there's a lot loaded into this last verse. And it says this, it says, When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. This idea of when is important. It's not if God's people end up with a few needs, it's when. It happens. We've always had uh, folks in the Overlake family who have been in need, and we are quick to meet those needs. And so I just want to tell you, as the days, as the weeks, as the months ahead of us come, there will be many more families who end up with needs. You have to promise me, you will share those needs with the Overlake family. That you'll reach out. There's no shame in having needs. That, that you'll let us know on, on the connection card or a phone call or, or a Facebook message or email or, 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 or reach out to your small group and, and rally around one another. But it's not if God's people have needs. It's when. And it doesn't stop there. It says, be ready to help them. So just as there's no shame in having needs, there's also no shame in having resources and being without need. It means that you get to be a part of this equation of meeting the needs of the family. And not even just the family, but as we'll see soon, even beyond the family of God. And so this is huge. Be ready. Even get, get creative. How can you maybe trim your, your budget even more to maximize what you're able to give? And, and, and it doesn't need to be just finances. We're, we're so quick to go there. But think of time too. In the season of, of kind of stay home, stay healthy, maybe you've realized you have a little bit more bandwidth, a little bit more ma margin perhaps. And, and I would encourage you as things do begin to phase into normalcy, to hold on to that space, to hold on to some margin, to create space where you're able to use that time to serve others. So you don't just end up into this, this harried kind of approach of doing everything. But go ahead and, and, and protect that time. And then this, this idea of always be eager. I love the idea. It's kind of a heart level. It's like you're, you're excited to jump in to serving, to giving, to helping. That there's this eagerness. You, you, you anticipate it. You look forward to it. And, and then lastly, practicing hospitality. It starts with God's people, but it ends with hospitality. And hospitality, the word, the Greek word literally means, it, it's two parts. It literally means love of stranger, friend of stranger. Love of outsider, the, the other, the, the, the one who's on the outside is welcomed in, that you share what you have with. And as followers of Jesus, we believe there's really kind of two things we do with all the stuff we have, that we're just stewards. And, and, and what we do is we either are generous, we either give it away and help meet needs of others, or it's hospitality. We, we share, we open it up. We, 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 we allow others to use it. We allow others to come around the table, into our homes, into our lives. That, that we, we really, uh, where this word, if you think about it, uh, it's really where the word hospital came from. That this idea that the sick are welcome, the disease, the dying, and they come and they receive kind of care and restoration and wholeness and healing, and then they're sent back out into the world. Overlake, you are essential workers in this season. Your lives, your homes, your small groups are meant to be many hospitals in this time to, to care for the communities around us, the places around us, the parishes in which we live in, that we live this out. And here's the thing. Here's the thing is we, we combat a few different kind of lies, if you will, or things that get in the way. The enemy is so quick to try to get us to, 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 to think it's not, uh, well, really it's these things, that it's not me. That it's not on me. Someone else will do it. Someone else will take responsibility. It's someone else who's, who's paid to do that or expected to do that. Or, or you know what? It's just not now. 
I'll do it later. I'll do it when I, uh, it's more convenient for me. I'll, I'll get around to it maybe in those retirement years. I'll get around to it when, when our kids are this age. I'll get around to it when, when, when I'm a little less stressed on the weekends or whatever it is, whatever the not now is, but it, it, it end up thinking not me, not now. And then there's the lie of not here. That somehow I'll, I'll, I'll maybe invest in a place that I like a little bit more than my current neighborhood or my current parish or my, my current community that, that just not here. It doesn't feel like home. I don't want to have to put roots down. And what I'd say is it's this lie. It's this metaphor that I'm going to unpack. It's the lie. It's the thought. It's the paradigm of airport terminal thinking. Here's a picture of an airport terminal. And I'm sure you've all been in them. And here's the thing is that no one lives here. You're either coming from somewhere, you're going somewhere, but this is not where you want to stay. And because of that, the way you treat this space is one of low investment, if any at all. That if there's litter, or if there's garbage, or there's something going on, you know what, I'm not responsible. I don't have authority to deal with any of that. The people around me, you know what, it's not worth kind of going through the effort of making connections or relationships that you just keep your head down and you just kind of get productive. You just, you just hash out some emails. You, you, you go into your forms of entertainment, whatever it is, your own little world, but, but that somehow this place just doesn't belong. And the question is, have we done this to our neighborhoods? Have we taken this mindset into the places we live? where they don't matter to us, where we expect some other program to deal with things or some other policy or some other uh, uh, government or what, whatever. But do we not take responsibility, authority? Do we not take a caring approach to the places we live? And so I want to look at a story here, tell you a story here out of Mark 10. And I love this story. You should check it out, actually, later today. Is, is it's so great. It's, it's Jesus. He's in this city called Jericho. And as he's leaving this city, it says a crowd is following him. So picture this. So Jesus is leaving with his closest followers in this huge crowd. And there's this man. And, and this man calls out to Jesus. He's blind. His name's Bartimaeus. And, and he calls out. He says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And everyone, the crowds, it says we're hushing him. We're trying to silence him. We're trying to get him to, to quiet down. And, and in fact, he gets all the louder trying to, again, just get the attention of Christ, of God, of Jesus in this moment. Until Jesus says, bring that man to me. And now the crowds kind of shift their tone a little bit and let, let Bartimaeus know, like, hey, he's called for you, bro. Like, come on in. And it says he took off his letterman jacket, or his coat, actually, is what it says in, in Scripture. He drops his coat and he comes to Jesus. And, and he comes to Jesus and Jesus starts with a question. And I think this is beautiful. He doesn't assume. He doesn't, I, I think Jesus is even just kind of making a, 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 a teaching moment here, modeling, in fact, what it looks like in these moments. But instead of assuming what Bartimaeus needs or wants or desires, he asks him, he says, Bartimaeus, he says, he says, what do you want from me? And Bartimaeus says, I want to see. And in that moment, Jesus restores his sight, heals this man. I can't even imagine just all the feelings he would be kind of feeling and what the crowd, what the dynamic would be like. But, but then the story ends with this verse. I love it. It says, and Bartimaeus leaves and follows Jesus. What if, Overlick, what if we took a similar approach to our places? What if we took a similar posture of listening? Of listening, of letting the needs cut through all the crazy noise of the crowds. Of allowing kind of those needs to kind of come to the surface, come to our ears. What, what if we draw them out and come really close to them? Allow problems to become proximate to our lives. And then what if we're curious? What if we ask questions instead of assuming what our parishes need from us, what our places and neighborhoods need? We ask. We take a posture of asking. I would not be surprised if it leads to more people beginning and choosing to follow Jesus. So what's it look like to live into this, into our little Jerichos, into our Romes, into our neighborhoods, Woodenville, Kirkland, Bothell, Bellevue, Duval, wherever 
your home is. What would this look like? Well, there's some great examples of, I think, really what it could look like in this season. I heard of a great story. I want to point this out here. Is, is an overlaker, Jen Brown, and her friends kind of rallied around this idea of save a restaurant, feed a hero. And so here's some pictures of the Maltby Pizza and Pasta where, where they placed a huge order to, to feed hospital workers, to feed essential workers, to feed people on the front lines who've been working hard or exhausted in need of encouragement. That They've chosen to take delight in honoring others while providing economically for a business in need. And they've done this not just once, but it's ongoing. It's caught quite a bit of steam. Uh, she shared it with her small group uh, just a couple weeks ago. And, and different ladies were like, I want in. Who do I Venmo money to? Like, it, it's, this is the kingdom. This is what it looks like. We recognize we belong not just to Jesus, not just to each other, but to our places too. That this is the type dynamic of what it looks like. And so really what what Jen and, and, and others that are living into this are, are showcasing is how we combat those lies that we talk through. And it's through these truths. It's through this reality, these three things here. That every act of belonging, here we go, Ruthie. Every act of belonging, it, is, it requires someone, sometime, somewhere. We were a little slow, but it's okay. We're all getting this. Every act of belonging has happened through someone at some time, somewhere. It's the opposite of those lies. That instead of saying it's not me, it's us. It's through us. Instead of saying that it's not now, it's right now. It's at some time. And instead of saying that it's not here, it's somewhere. It's right here. And this is modeled so perfectly at the cross. This is the very pinnacle of the gospel. That God on the cross, someone, Jesus Christ, gives up his life sometime at a moment in history. Not just some mythological story. At a moment in history, somewhere outside the city gates of Jerusalem. In a display of love. In the ultimate act of what it means to belong, to be included into the very life of God. And so Overlake, I say we live this out. I say we go after this, knowing that practically speaking, in the coming days, weeks, and months ahead, that, that there's going to be really important, really amazing programs and services that end up having to get trimmed or cut at a federal, a state, and even nonprofit type level. For example, let's say Meals on Wheels isn't able to serve as many of their guests, as many of their, their clients. You know what? Those people live in your neighborhoods. What if we knew them? And this is where the statistic that, that fewer than 3% of Americans know their eight nearest neighbors and just something about them. What if we got out, even in this time of kind of physical distancing, what if we still got out to just at least meet some neighbors, exchange names, learn a little bit more of their stories, maybe see and listen again, asking questions to see what it may look like to care for them, to love them. And so we thought we would make this fun. Instead of shaming people into this, we were going to game people into this. Like that, from shaming to gaming. And so here's what we did. We created a game that we're going to play this week. And it's Parish Bingo. And there's 16 different activities here for you, for your family, for your small group, for, uh, uh, who, you know, your roommates, whomever you're with, uh, to do. And, 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 and it's simple things. Some things are simple. Some take a little bit more investment. But simply all that you're doing is accomplishing these 16 different things, as many as you can, in the next six days between today through Friday. And, and it's this. You can go ahead and find the game at the at-home resources link. You can download it. It's just a PDF. You can print it if you have a printer at home. But then take pictures of you and your family, friends, whoever's doing this uh, uh, and doing these different things and then post them on Facebook using this hashtag, OCC We Belong. And then Friday, I'm excited to drive around. I'll wear a mask, I promise. And, and I'll drop off some prizes for those who have been most engaged in this game. But, but we're going to go after this because unless we spend time in our places, we will not begin to know them. We will not begin to love them. We need to get out of airport terminal thinking and begin to root ourselves, begin to establish ourselves. So let's do this. I'd love to go ahead and, and close us in prayer, recognizing that this is an example that we have received from the one we follow. 
Jesus. I love how Eugene Peterson says that, that Jesus, that God became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. That the Father sent his Son into the world. And then later, Jesus, on Easter day in the evening, appearing to his disciples, says, As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. We're sent into our neighborhoods as well to follow the model of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I do ask that you just give us even more creativity and ideas of what it looks like to live this out. We want to be a church like the one we see in Rome that Paul was writing to. Beautiful in how it's diverse. United but not uniform. And, and so I ask that you would help us to, to not just belong to you, not just belong to one another, but help us to fall in love with our places, our parishes, our neighborhoods. And so as cheesy as it is, even use this game the silly thing to advance your kingdom, to help put on display heaven here on earth. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Let's worship. Walking around these walls I thought by now they'd fall, but you have never failed me yet. We're waiting for change to come, knowing the battles won. For you have never failed me yet. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness, your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. You've never failed me yet. You're so faithful. Oh, I know the night won't last. Your word will come to pass. Oh, my heart will sing your praise again. Jesus, you're enough for us. Oh, Jesus, you're still enough. So keep me within your love. Oh, my heart will sing your praise again. promise, your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness, your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. Oh, this is my confidence. You've never failed. Your promise still stands. Great is your Do it. 
promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness, your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. You've never failed. Your promise still stands. Oh, great is your faithfulness, your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. Oh, this is my confidence. You've never failed. Overlake, from wherever you're participating in the service today, I trust that you met Jesus whether through worship and the teaching of his word. It's been a powerful morning. Pastor Pat, thank you for your message and the reminder that Jesus was sent into this world and he sent his disciples out. Just like that, we're sent to our families, to our neighbors and our communities and even beyond. My name is Mark. I'm one of the elders here and I have a couple of announcements before uh, we continue with some more uh, worship. Pastor Eugene Cho will be here next week, and he'll be concluding the We Belong series, so you'll want to tune into that. Also, before next Sunday, we actually have a chance to gather together for worship and prayer on Wednesday night, so I encourage you to join in in that time. It's a great space midweek to just pause and be with Jesus and one another. As Pastor Neely mentioned earlier, there are three buttons on the screen that I want to call your attention to before uh, you leave the service today. One of them is the uh, connection card. And the elders and pastors look forward to receiving these and being able to pray uh, over the, the prayer requests that you list. So please take a moment to complete that and submit that online. Also, there's the um, giving button. So there's numerous ways to give and contribute toward the ministries that happen through Overlake. So I encourage you to do that too. And then lastly, the at-home resources. That's where there's uh, several different tools and resources to engage with, including the game that Pastor Pat just mentioned, the bingo game. So I'm looking forward to seeing pictures uh, over the next several days as you're out in your parishes, as you're sent into your neighborhoods. So let me uh, close this time with a, a blessing. And then if you have time, I encourage you to please linger for some more worship. So join me in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to live among us and to show us what it means to be disciples. Thank you for sending us out into our families, communities, and beyond. Father, during this season, we are reminded that hope and encouragement are found as we wait patiently for your promises to be fulfilled. So over like walk boldly, in this patience and encouragement as you live in harmony with each other so that you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Now let us worship.
couldn't earn it and I don't deserve it still you give yourself away down lie you won't tear down you're coming after me there's no shadow you won't light up mountain you won't climb up you're coming after me there's no wall you won't kick down lie you won't tear down you're coming after me come on there's no shadow you won't light up mountain you won't climb up you're coming after me no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, you're coming after me. There's oh. no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, you're coming after me.
Jesus, we love.